We heard it was the X-Men with a bit of horror. A bit was an overstatement. Today, we're giving you our reaction to The New Mutants. Perfect. Two? Thank you. Thank you. So we went to a drive-in movie theater about an hour away from where we live so we didn't have to sit inside an actual regular movie theater where, let's face it, your COVID risk is a lot higher than most places. But another benefit is it also let us record some of our discussion during the movie since it was just the two of us in the car and we could actually talk about it since nobody was around to really shush us. Yeah, so I enjoyed it as a date. I did not enjoy it as a movie. Yeah, it was it was pretty nice to be able to actually go see a movie. But before we get into that part of it, let's get a little background on the comics. So it was 1982. Chris Claremont had been writing the X-Men title for a while. He was kind of in charge of all things mutant at Marvel. And he was told that they wanted to start another mutant book. He was kind of actually against the idea. He didn't want to, but then he was told by his bosses, well, listen, a, a, another mutant title is coming out. Either you're going to do it or somebody else is. So he he jumped on it and did it. And in, uh, in 1982, the X-Men are kidnapped by an alien called the Brood. Uh, at the same time, without real anyone realizing it, Professor X is infected with a Brood larva. Uh, so when the X-Men disappear, they, they're kidnapped in what looks like an explosion, and they're assumed dead. Professor X is devastated, and he swears never to form another X-Men group, but he does start finding these young teenage mutants and gathering them from some from dangerous situations, some just uh, kind of your typical X-Men coming to the Xavier School story, and starts helping them develop their powers. Like I said, he said that they won't be X-Men, but they get uniforms and he kind of trains them an awful lot like the X-Men in the danger room, all that. Obviously, this is to hone their powers, but I mean, it's it kind of blurs the line between what's, oh, I'm just honing your powers and what's, I'm making you X-Men. So eventually find out that the brood larva that infected him caused him to assemble these new mutants and and his own like actual deeply held opposition to creating a new X-Men team is the only thing that really kept him from just going whole hog and making them the X-Men. X-Men. Yeah. So the actual team eventually gets back to Earth and the new mutants, they stay on as students. And they're like a sometimes superhero team. But what I really like about, about their stories is they're they're a little like, it's the 80s, they're like teenagers. It, they're It's kind of like the punk rock X-Men because mm-hmm. they kind of, they jump into situations and they always explicitly say things like we are not supposed to do this, but we're going to do this or they'll get yelled at. They'll be told like, why didn't you let the X-Men do that? Uh, and so uh, one thing I thought was funny is uh, the beginning of secret war uh, when the X-Men disappear, uh, the new mutants are trying to save Kitty pride. Who's been kidnapped by Emma Frost in the hellfire club. And so they actually go through this thing where they're told they have to call the Fantastic Four first and then the Avengers if anything happens and the X-Men aren't reachable. 
And so they're sitting there and they're calling uh, uh, Fantastic Four Tower. They're calling the Avengers Mansion. But those two teams had also disappeared because Secret Wars starts with the disappearance of like the major superhero teams. And so they have to go and uh, rescue Kitty Pride from the Hellfire Club in Boston. And so this is an actual important storyline because um, one of the one of the new mutants, Danielle Moonstar, uh, she has psychic abilities. She fights Emma Frost and is affected for several issues afterwards. And that's important because that is the run that is the inspiration for this film, the Bill Senkowitz illustrated run of the comics, uh, where Danny is haunted by this psychic image that becomes very real. And uh, she's actually out of action for most of uh, of the actual fighting in in this. Uh, so if you want to check out that storyline, it's issues 18 to 21 of the New Mutants first run. Uh, I think those issues are from 84. Uh, but also check out issue number three, which has elements that also influence the film and uh, is part of that whole Professor X uh, brood larva thing. Great. Thank you for the primer on uh, the New Mutants. As you guys know, probably, this movie was a whopping three years in the making. So we figured, uh, let's start by taking you on a trip down memory lane. So Josh Boone, if you don't know that name, uh, he is really famous for The Fault in Our Stars. Um, so he is fresh from uh, the success of that movie. He signs on to the project in May of 2015. Do you remember 2015? Barely. Um, and he hypes it up as a full-fledged horror movie, LOL. Um, (laughs) It's a little shade there. (laughs) In September of 2017, um, two years later, uh, Boone announces that they're in their last week of filming, Um, but by now there have been rumors um, that Boone's creativity was being stifled by movie executives who actually wanted to avoid an R- uh, rating so that it can market to teens because it's about teens so they wanted it to be teen friendly i mean like what teen have you ever met that was like oh well that's rated r so i'm not gonna watch that i think it's more that parents teens can't see the rated r movies they're gonna watch it somehow um not in theaters though fair in october of 2017 we get our first trailer and then nothing And then January 2018 rolls around and the release of the movie gets pushed back from April 2018 to February 2019. So that's like almost a year it gets pushed back. Still could have come out, though. It still (laughs) still could have come out. Yes. Um, In regular fashion. The excuse was that 20th Century Fox wanted to avoid overlap with Deadpool 2, which was slated to come out May 18th, 2018. Um, So, again, this kind of sends the rumor mill spinning uh, with reports that the studio wants some more significant reshoots for the new mutants to spice up the scares um, since people reacted positively to the jump scares in the trailer. Back when we all had the time for that kind of thing, for reshoots on movies and stuff. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so a lot of the creative conflict around the movie had to do, surprisingly enough, with the successes of Logan and Deadpool. So that was 
that's an interesting sort of twist to this story. So both Logan and Deadpool were really highly successful movies, as you guys know, um, that were able to sort of break superhero movie conventions. So they were innovators in this genre that's like being dominated by all these other movies. DC had movies, um, you know, particularly the MCU. Yeah. Disney Marvel had, which had a very particular aesthetic. Yeah. So, um, so DC had movies, Disney Marvel had movies, everyone's competing for a slice of the superhero pie, but Logan and Deadpool were able to break through because they were so different. Um, and so that was kind of what the controversy was about, was how do we make the new mutants also so different that it breaks movie conventions and stands out in this really crowded category. So by March 2018, sorry, we're jumping around here, uh, we get a third release date. So that's... Never good. That's moving from the February 2019 release date to now August 2019. So at this point, the rumors seem to be true, with like reports that 50% of the New Mutants could be reshot and additional characters could be added. Um... And then, so March 2019 rolls around and we get the biggest event in this New Mutants timeline, which is when Disney officially acquired the film and TV assets of 21st Century Fox, giving the mouse control of the X-Men franchise. So what does that mean for New Mutants? It gets pushed back again to dun, 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 April 3rd, 2020. Oh, no. <laughs> Um, I, Little I, did they know, 2020 was never going to happen. <laughs> Still so, hasn't. Spoiler alert. Um, no spoilers. Everyone's <laughs> living it. <laughs> so that takes us before before we relive the past couple months. Let's go to January 2020 when we didn't know it was coming. Um, and sweet summer child. <laughs> when we get another trailer for the new mutants, just the second trailer in two years. Jeez, what is this? The Flash? <laughs> which is basically Disney confirming that the movie hasn't died. Um, and then March 2020, uh, guess what? COVID sweeps the globe. Um, and Josh Boone finally comes out and confirms none of his planned planned reshoots ever happened. That's time management, folks. <laughs> so his big excuse um, was the merger. And uh, according to Josh Boone, once the dust settled, all the actors were older. Which, you know, uh, happens in linear time. Okay, so that's an excuse. I would have gladly taken, and let me go off on a tangent for a second, if I didn't know that Shailene Woodley was a 24-year-old playing a 16-year-old in The Fault in Our Stars. And Charlie Heaton is currently a 26-year-old, also playing a teenager on Stranger Things. Or Maisie Williams will probably be playing a teenager until she's, like, in her 30s. Yeah, it's, especially if you're doing that many reshoots, I mean, why not just reshoot the whole thing with the slightly older cast? Like, how? It's not like, it, it's not like it's, like, like little, like, Cousin Nikki from Fresh Prince or yeah. or the Olsen twins from from Full House, where a year really does make a difference in the way they look in their age. Like, once you get your teens, like, you can kind of fake the, like, a year or two. It's just kind of like, all of a sudden we're trying to be true to people's ages, and when has America ever done that? I mean, Fair. on Riverdale, they're all, like, 30. That's that's very so, true. I'm just saying, I can't buy the fact that's like, oh, sorry, we couldn't reshoot, everyone's older. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and and the movie is not being well received. Uh, it currently ranks thirty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes with a fifty four percent audience score. That's not good. That's certified rotten. Uh, it's doing a bit better on Metacritic, uh, where it gets forty three percent. Oh, great! And uh, its best rating is on IMDb, where it gets five point six out of ten stars, which is a fifty six percent. These are all Fs. That's it's. But it's it's above fifty percent, top half. Uh, none of those are good. Cool. Try That's, to tell my mom that. <laughs> well, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> it opened on a holiday weekend to a very disappointing, roughly twelve million dollars, uh, as opposed to its reported budget of eighty million dollars, which is cheap for a comic book movie. So twelve bringing in twelve million is not not good. It's now up to twenty nine million partly because there isn't really any other competition out there other than Tenet. Uh, and I mean, during the, during COVID when most people, us included, do not want to go to a movie theater to see anything. Uh, it's doing, I guess. Okay. But I mean, it's, it, things are not good for the business of new mutants. So enough about uh, the the background here. Let's just jump right into the movie. Let's jump right into the characters. Uh, as you know, we are dealing with some younger mutants. And with Josh Boone having directed The Fault in Our Stars, I was actually really excited for this movie. I was a huge The Fault in Our Stars fan of the book and of the movie. Um, yeah, thought, you went out to a, to a pre-screening and got a poster and oh, yeah, all I was that. A, you I was, were really fangirling all over, over it. that so i was i was a really big fan i'm also a huge fan of Maisie williams who played Arya stark in game of thrones she's like, really good i adore her i will watch anything that she's in um and charlie heaton i mean you know my love for stranger things so he yeah. plays jonathan byers in stranger things so i love when my fandoms cross over like this and x-men was my very first fandom so mm -hmm. it's just like this this convergence of all of the stuff that I love. Um, so the biggest criticism, though, that I keep seeing over and over again on the internet is that their powers suck. Their 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 powers are a bit different than we're used to. So I am here to confirm that they certainly do suck. They're so, different than we're used to. Let's let's break it down character by character. Um, Blue Hunt. Let's start with Blue Hunt, the main character. She plays Danny Moonstar. Um, I think I saw a review that says she's pretty passive for um, our main protagonist, who is both the big good and the big bad. Spoiler alert. Um, and I totally agree with that. You say I... spoiler alert after the spoiler? Sorry. Should <laughs> <laughs> um, we just do a spoiler no, no, at the top? Oh. Um, I also wanted way more emotion from her. Uh, that's an incredibly heavy thing to deal with. The fact that her powers wiped out her whole tribe, including her dad, that's a level of trauma that should have been explored more. In fact, it should have been the thing that triggers her big episode that leads to the big fight scene and not the fact that Dr. Reyes tries to kill, kill her with sedatives. Yeah, so I think part of the issue is... Yeah, the story focuses on her power, which is a bit of a passive power. So what it is, is she can reach in. She's like I said, she has psychic powers. She can reach into people's minds and pull out their worst fear and make it into a 
realistic image, uh, what they call it a spirit form in the comics. She later is able to develop the powers and pull out a person's greatest desire as well. So it's not all nightmare all the time with her, but this is a power that she grapples with a lot in the beginning. She actually, uh, accidentally projects a very traumatic memory for one of the, one of her teammates in the beginning of the, of the comic books. And that's, all throughout this this movie, uh, she's you know, there's just nightmares, kind of roaming around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, yeah, I, I can I can see why people would think that it's a lame power, especially when you haven't read the comics. Like especially for people who did not go, you know what? I'm gonna go and I'm going to read the all you know sixty seventy. I forget how many issues there were. I think a hundred issues of the first run of the new mutants. I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to read them all and then I'm going to watch them. That's a big investment of time that a lot of people don't put into it. And I mean, I don't blame them for not putting into it. I'm not saying everyone's got to go read every comic uh, before they see a movie, but yeah, this, this movie was better served if you read the comic books. I think when it comes to a power, like, bringing someone's fears to life like that's not a battle ready power you know there's not a lot of uh, action involved in it depending on the person's personal nightmare you know yeah they they use in the comic books it's used um mostly on henchmen to like project like their greatest fear or whatever but she does make a point actually in the book that uh, in the issues that this is based on she does at one point make a point to say like, this is not a helpful power against something that's not sentient or something that is not organic, like something like a robot. Like she can't use that against a sentinel. A sentinel can't be like my greatest fear is a magnet. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's actually pretty funny. <laughs> can opener, uh, you know, <laughs> things like that. Um, so magnets, everywhere. magnets, <laughs> so, yeah, just giant can opener, just, you know, pop the sentinel in there, open them up. Um, so yeah, so it's, I, I, I it's get, yeah, I get what they're, what people's criticisms are. I do kind of like that. It's a kind of like understated power and not like, I want to shoot lightning out of my fingertips, but I get the criticism. Speaking of which. Uh, there's Anya Taylor-Joy, who plays Ilyana. She is a... Ilyana Rasputin. Rasputin, yes. She's Colossus's sister. Yes, yes. Um, so she's aggressive, she's offensive, she's a bully, and she actually was really fun to watch. I think, um, she was one of the highlights of the movie for me. We were definitely lucky we weren't in an actual theater because you were yelling at her a lot in the car. Yes. She's not... You know what's funny? Um, she was the most entertaining, but she's not supposed to be likable, really. Um, I think they, That's definitely true. they did the best job fleshing out Ileana as a character uh, compared to the shallowness of the other characters, which is, again, a common complaint I've been seeing on the internet. But what is her power? 
I don't know. She has like five of them. Um, so her, from what I understand, um, her arm turns into some sort of steel javelin at will. Uh, she can enter an imaginary dreamscape where her dragon puppet comes to life. Once she's in her dreamscape, she can vanquish any enemy. I think that's how that works. And then sometimes she has a magic sword. But Ileana's backstory is perhaps the darkest thing about this movie. Uh, there are implications that she was kidnapped to be part of some child sex trafficking operation. And honestly, it was her nightmare that was the most scary when Danny Moonstar was bringing people's nightmares to life. So, yes, she does have a ton of powers. She is a very complicated mutant to bring into this because she's not just a mutant. She's also a sorcerer. Oh. So some of her powers are mutations. Some of them are magic. Um, so that dreamscape that she goes to is actually limbo. It's a demon infested magical realm that she. Uh, so the the kidnapping. Let's go to that real quick. She was kidnapped by a demon and trapped in limbo when she was eight years old. Uh, she spent seven years there, seven years for her being turned into a sorceress by the head demon uh, when she was finally saved by the X-Men. And she returned very shortly after she was kidnapped. So no time had passed for anyone else, but she was a teenager. So imagine like someone like an eight year old walking out the door and then walking back in the door, a 15 year old. Um, So uh, she's actually, it's really funny that, that they portrayed her this way. Because in the comics, she's actually very more timid about things, more unsure. She is a little angry because she's like upset that she thinks that everyone's judging her. Everyone thinks that she is some sort of evil demon because she spent so much time in this demonic limbo. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, another, but she and Danny are actually friends in the comics. They're pretty close. Though Kitty Pride is her best friend, uh, but Danny's not, you know, she's not Danny's antagonist. So it's a bit of an interesting twist for the movie. Uh, when she teleports, which they kind of show at the later in the movie, but they don't make it explicit. Um, she doesn't instantly move from one place to another like Nightcrawler does. Instead, she goes from where she is to limbo to where she wants to go. So she has to make this pit stop in this like hellscape. Um, and anything she like teleports with her has to go there too. So in one of the comics, she's teleporting, uh, a bunch of the new mutants and their teacher and their teacher's car from where it was being attacked into the Xavier mansion. And it actually shows them going into limbo for a few minutes and then coming to the Xavier mansion. They're like, Whoa, what is happening here? Um, so her sword is one of her magical abilities. It's a soul sword and it's made of energy and it's an extension of her life force. It can kill anything magical. Um, but, uh, it's not just in limbo that she can hurt things. It's just, that's where she's teleporting to and from. That's why you see it whenever she teleports, Hmm. um, even short distances. Makes sense. Uh, and Lockheed, the dragon is one of those like things from limbo that she can command. Uh, but Lockheed, you know, they can come into our world. Uh, she generally doesn't let them, but Lockheed is a, is a friendly dragon. I think Lockheed's my favorite character. Lockheed's pretty good. <laughs> I like how they, I like how they portray Lockheed in the movie as sometimes a puppet and, and she can make him, make him 
manifest as real. Yeah, just it's it was just funny the fact that there's this like badass girl who's like, you know, big dog on campus, you know, big bully, and she's <laughs> also talking to a dragon puppet. Um, was kind yeah, of a really good. really funny um juxtaposition. Uh, you can't see right now, but I'm making the wincy face emoji <laughs> expression because up next is. Henry Zaga, who plays Berto. Um, so just based off of this movie, we know literally nothing about Berto, um, except for that he's Brazilian and he's rich and he really likes doing chores for no reason. We know that his moment of trauma um, entails his ex-girlfriend, whom he kills when his powers are accidentally triggered. Now, we can't talk about Berto without addressing the elephant in the room, which was all the controversy surrounding Henry Zaga's casting. So Henry Zaga is Brazilian, so props for that. Um, But he is of European descent, uh, while the creators of the character, specifically artist Bob McCloud, um, represented Berto in the comics as a dark-skinned Afro-Latino. So other creative liberties with McLeod's character designs were taken throughout this movie, namely the movies Danny Moonstar doesn't have braids and Rain doesn't have spiky red hair, although I really don't mind Maisie's shag cut. But yes, Henry Zaga's casting was definitely controversial. Yeah, and it's it's a weird thing to change because in the comics, being Afro-Brazilian is a big part of Berto's background. Uh, his father, who at the time that Berto's a teenager, is the richest man in Brazil. Uh, he's implied to own half, if not more, of Rio de Janeiro. Uh, but he, like, one of the big things is his father grew up as a servant, described as little better than a slave. Um, there are also comments about Berto in some of the books where the bad guys uh, call him racist things like half-breed and things like that, because his mother is um uh brazilian of of portuguese descent mm-hmm. so he is he is uh half afro brazilian half european brazilian uh but i just i it's just weird because i don't understand why you would change a character like that even if you couldn't explain all that stuff like you're bringing in you're bringing magic the 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 mutant magic which is which is iliana into this like there's more to explain than just this guy's afro-brazilian so i don't know why you would change that specific thing like he's portrayed as that throughout the entire first like chris claremont run of new mutants so it's it's just it's weird you know i agree i I, but the the thing is now that i know the the three-year history the three-year backstory of how this movie came to be I sort of can see why they chose to cast him. It was, I mean, it was a bad move, but it was also another desperate play to reel in the teen audience. So he's, Henry Zog is probably best known for being in 13 Reasons Why, um, which was super popular. And and the kids who are on that show are now getting cast left and right and all sorts of other teen things. Um, Henry Zog was apparently also in Teen Wolf. And even though that show is my entire whole heart. Um, I don't remember him at all. Uh, I saw the pictures of him supposedly in Teen Wolf, but I do not remember his role. I'm sorry, Henry Zaga. But again, it makes sense that they're just, you know, with the 
trying to avoid the R rating and casting somebody from 13 Reasons Why alongside, you know, casting a popular character from Game of Thrones and a popular character from Stranger Things. It makes sense that they're just, it's a desperate play to use familiar faces to reel in a teen audience. I get that. But if you're going to make a safe movie, just make an MCU movie, you know, just make a, make it, you know, like, like Guardians of the Galaxy or something, something that, you know, you already know people are going to, flock to see or something if you're going to make a safe movie like that if you're going to make a different kind of movie and break conventions yeah then number one stick to important pieces of the material and number 100%. two i will say part of the reason um that that you're saying they chose him is because you know oh well teens know him well the reason that there's no well-known afro-brazilian um actor that that a lot of a lot of american teens are going to know okay. by name is because they're not being, they're not cast. being cast yeah so maybe if they cast uh an afro-brazilian or afro-latin uh actor in this role then that would become a household name and then there would be you know because it's like you these these roles only aren't filled by the actors they should be because they're not being filled by the actors they should be, you know, like it's, it's the same thing with, with, you know, Ridley Scott's, um, gods of Egypt movie casting, you know, uh, Nikolai Coster Waldo and, uh, and Gerard Butler as, you know, the gods of Egypt. It's, you know, he said he did it for, for name recognition. Well, it's, you know, these guys, you know, people, of of non-European background are only going to get name recognition when they start getting cast in. Things, uh, I 100% you know? like yes, I 100% It's a weak excuse. You. I don't buy it at all. But you also already have Maisie and Charlie. You yeah, know? yeah, you've already got big names in it. Yeah, it's so, not, it's not like they cared to, you know, it's not like they were like, well, Dr. Reyes has to be famous as well and like, you know, yeah. it's, it's the thing is, it's you've got your two your two big headline making names, right? Mm. So you don't need more than that. You can yeah. you can give the opportunity to someone whose career is up and coming and have this be their big break. Yeah. Without losing any of the, you know, the star power that you're getting with Maisie and Charlie. Yeah. It's like it, my my response to the whole Ridley Scott thing is Ridley Scott's name is the pole, not the actor. And same thing with this, the X-Men brand is the pull not the actor so like just cast i mean i i okay i can i get it but still like you said charlie heaton is already in it Maisie williams is already in it just i don't know anyway let's move on speaking of Maisie, Maisie plays rain uh so remember when we talked about how iliana has all these different powers which doesn't make sense so part of why it doesn't make sense is because rain's only power is turns into wolf um, and she's not even like a shapeshifter, like Mystique. She can only turn into a wolf. <laughs> that's, that's it. So mean. <laughs> um, despite that, Maisie Williams will always be my favorite. I think she's an excellent actress, and I think she did a really good job playing this kind, friendly, endearing Rain. Um, it's just, I mean, every role that she's in, it's just so easy to fall in love with Maisie Williams. She the is stabbier she is, <laughs> the more I like her. Like, she's, she just exudes, like, that big best friend energy. You just want to be her friend. And sharp objects. Yes. 
So, yeah, they don't fully explore Rain's power, but they hint at some of it. So, yes, she turns into a wolf. She gets all these all the benefits of being a wolf, like heightened sense of smell and, you know, ability to, to fight like a like a wolf and all that. But she also has this transitional form where she's half wolf, half girl. And we do kind of see it briefly, but they don't make it explicit. It looks like she's just like has claws in her hands, but it's actually like a half wolf form that she turns into. I don't know if they didn't want to do all that makeup, but um, yeah, they don't go into the, so her character has a lot of interesting struggles with, uh, with her feelings, with her identity and with, uh, and with just being a person. She actually likes being a wolf better than she does like being a human being. And a lot of times will, think like what if i just stay a wolf full time like i kind of like that um she also has this psychic connection with danny when she's in full wolf form and they communicate telepathically since obviously as a wolf she can't talk she can't turn around and be like hey you guys but as her in her transitional form she can do that but in full wolf form she actually communicates through danny yeah and a telepathic link i think one of the things that i love about rain and in terms of character development is um so rain is catholic she's scottish catholic she's not catholic she is presbyterian is she they're just yeah they're so they're fundamentalist presbyterian they're like they're very so it's it's um full disclosure i'm presbyterian and we are i'm not catholic <laughs> at, we are not fundamentalist at all presbyterian is like the most chill christian you can be and and still be christian that i i think anyway i'm not trying to disparage anyone else's Anyway, um, but so, yeah, Scots, uh, if you're from Scotland, generally you're a Presbyterian. Um, that's where Presbyterianism started. But her area is very, uh, very old school, uh, conservative area. She actually like her big line from the from the books that she's always saying is uh, is Tisne proper. Uh, that was my bad Scottish accent. But she's always saying how things aren't proper. Things are scandalous. Like she um, she's always, you know, wondering, you know, what Reverend Craig, who is the guy that uh, that you see in the movie haunting her, uh, what he would say or if if he knew she was doing this or she was doing that. She's very um, it's it's like uh, like a character that comes from any kind of strict fundamentalist uh, religious community, you know, characters that come from a strict Catholic community like Nightcrawler. Yes. Or characters that come from like a strict Mormon community or things like that. Um, she has those kind of struggles. Yeah. So I, I love that despite how religion has wronged her, how she's been called a witch and she's been banished essentially from, from the church, she still has the beliefs that she has. She still believes that things are sacred and and, you know, still kind of like adheres to her religion despite the fact that it didn't do right by her. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting cuz like now that you mentioned that that the whole Catholic thing, I just realized that she does go in to do confession and I so I'm not super familiar with Presbyterianism in Scotland. I assume it's pretty similar to the way it is in the US. We don't have we don't have confession. If if you want to talk about something, you walk up to the minister, you go, "Hey, uh, you got a second?" And uh so there's no there's no we don't say Hail Marys. And we don't call it our fathers. We call it the Lord's Prayer. So there, there was a lot that, yeah, they made her seem Catholic, but she's not. So it's, again, I don't, I don't know if we have any. 
I know we have uh, some listeners in in Ireland. If you guys can uh, can uh, you know nudge your Scottish neighbors and be like, hey guys, do you do this over there? <laughs> uh, let me know. I'd love to know more about that. Things that I can Google. I'd rather hear from you. But uh, but yeah. Anyway, let's move on to to Cannonball because I have I have thoughts on Cannonball. But let's get your thoughts on on him first. So my man Charlie Heaton plays Sam Guthrie, aka Cannonball. So the write up for his character does not jive with how his character is presented on screen. He supposedly could fly at jet speeds, protected by a force field. Instead, in the movie, he has these rocket boosters built into his hands that kind of make him a human flamethrower if he needs to be, but he doesn't have, like, the elegance of, say, Superman-style flight because he has to angle his boosters um, just so to fly in the right direction. Um, also, the flamethrower aspect, I thought, made him, like, a little redundant with Sunspot, a who, little who bit. We didn't we didn't really get into earlier, uh, but his power is he... Um, he he stores energy from the sun and turns into this like super heated, um, you know, humanoid form that has uh, super fire. strength and, and he has flame powers. Uh, he is not invulnerable when he's in that, in that state though. But, uh, but yeah, so that's, um, that's sunspot. I was like, powers. we've got out of a cast of five, we've got two fire people. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll touch on that in a minute but why don't you yeah um, give me the rest of your thoughts on on charlie heaton being a great actor i know you have more thoughts uh, yes no uh charlie heaton i love him um he's a great actor and while he handles non-accented english pretty well in stranger things it looks like a kentucky accent was a different beast entirely for this british actor um but again he did bring a timidness and a sweetness um, to Sam that complemented the other characters really well. So I really liked, um, you know, the dynamic there of just Sam being this like pure, sweet, little shy, um, good guy. I, I mean, like even um, when when Maisie Williams's uh, character Rain is is introducing Danny to everybody, she's like me, you know, me and Charlie never get in trouble because we're the good ones. So there's, Sam. there's, or yeah, me and Sam, sorry, never get in trouble because we're the good ones. Yeah. Yeah. Just in, in the comics, Cannonball's bottom half becomes a rocket. His entire bottom half? Yes. Like everything from like waist down oh. is just a rocket. Fun. And he is protected by an invulnerability kind of force field when he's using his power. His big line is, uh, I'm, I'm invulnerable when I'm blasting. Like it, every single time he... Every every new issue, he thinks that at least once in a panel so that the audience knows he can't be hurt, along with anything or anyone he's carrying. So a big theme for him is that he has a lot of trouble controlling his power, especially in the very beginning. It takes him a long time to even be able to turn uh, in mid-flight. But yeah, like I, like I said, it's his bottom half, not his, like he can use his hands. They're not, they're not part of the power flamethrower um no no he no, does not use things as flamethrowers um but i felt like they were trying to communicate the difficulty with his powers by showing sam is a little clumsy by putting all these injuries on charlie heaton but yeah you're right it did not make much sense since he's supposed to be invulnerable 
when he is in flight mode? Yeah. Because if he's not, then wouldn't he just die if he, like, went too fast? Um, I mean, as someone that read the comics, I, I understood, sort of, what they were trying to show. But without context, it is very confusing. Also, he was a lot more timid than Sam is a little shy, but he's more, like, wide-eyed, kind of, like... Like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this, you know, kind of thing. And he's also like, Like I I also have an issue with this casting. Um, Charlie Heaton, you're a good actor. I'm not throwing shade on you. No, I thought you played a very good, like tortured Sam, because part uh, another thing that they didn't that they alluded to, but did not show is that like um, in, in this movie. Uh, they were saying that he killed, well, I think they explicitly say that he killed his dad yeah. mm-hmm. in the books. His dad dies, just dies of black lung and, uh, and he has to go work in the mines, uh, when his, after his dad dies to support his family. And he saves a guy when there's a cave in and his powers suddenly manifest. Uh, but then he's like, people are like, Sam Guthrie, what the hell's wrong with you? You a demon, you know? So, um, but he's supposed to be tall and lanky and and that plays into the clumsiness. Charlie Heaton is built like a normal No, he's lanky. Man. I he think is not he's that lanky. okay. I'm sorry. Just because he's taller than you does not make him lanky. He is not tall and lanky. He is about my build. I approximately. Mean, if we are going to talk about I, I mean, if we are gonna talk about discrepancies between the appearance of a superhero in a comic book and the appearance of a superhero in a movie, then I'm sorry, but Wolverine is the most egregious example of that. So if they can cast 6'3 Hugh Jackman as the 5'4 Wolverine, then I think Charlie Heaton counts as tall and lanky. Hugh Jackman is the Wolverine. Okay. Listen, who else are you going to get to play Wolverine? Someone short and stout as Wolverine is meant to be played. All right, all right, all right. I think that in this era of better casting, they could have gotten someone tall and lanky. All right, all right. So let's move on to... Still the... not as bad as the Henry Zaga thing. But... No, yeah, it's nothing is as bad as Henry Zaga. I'm just on a tear now. This poor child, he didn't ask for this. He really didn't, but... Oh, and the thing uh, about Rain's hair, uh, why she has, like, a shag cut in the movie and why she's got, like, spiky hair in the in the books is her hair does not grow past that. Oh, interesting. It doesn't grow at all. And if she cuts it all, if she shaves it all off, it grows back to that point and does not grow again. So that's part of like the wolf thing. Oh, it's like wolf Just, yeah. length hair. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about the horror. Yes. Let's talk about the horror. To which I say, what horror? Okay. Again, I get that they were going for this haunted house kind of movie as Danny's spirit forms kind of run amok. There was a lot of subtext and sometimes not enough text. Uh, I agree with that. Some stuff definitely need to be made more explicit. Some stuff need to be explained more or not used. Uh, it's it felt like it was written as a film. If it felt like the original uh, first draft written as a film for the comic book fans, like here's all these Easter eggs and all this stuff you already know. So we're not going to bother explaining it. But then 
in a rewrite, they added a layer of let's bring in other people. And then when that rewrite was done, it was cast to bring in those others. And so it was a weird mix of like both where it was like, hey, here's this thing that's just for the comic book fans. But also you that's never read a comic book. Here's for you, too. And it's like, that's not that's not that great. You know, like you need some sort of explanation to bring people in. But like I said, I it wasn't. I don't. I think it was wrong for him to say horror movie. I think that was too limited, limiting of a phrase. I think it was a haunted house movie. It was like like Alien. I think it was a haunted house movie. But Alien was scary. Yeah. This okay. This was lower horror. This wasn't Saw or anything. But it was it was creepy, and it was also like they're making they made it for kids. I just don't understand. It's, the, it's X Men for kids. They were like, well, we want to do some reshoots because we want to add in some more jump scares. And there I was I don't know what jump scares they added. I don't I don't know what jump scares they added, nor do I know what jump scares they had. They, was it just the one, like the Sam Guthrie, like in the laundry room, like no, no, it was also um, Berto had a had a jump scare when his vision turned into I wouldn't his call dead girlfriend. That, I that was a, that, that was pretty creepy. Scare. Um. I wouldn't call that a jump scare. I think the the most like jump jumpy it was was that one scene that's in all the trailers, all the preview material for the New Mutants, which was the hands on the window of the laundry machine when you know. Oh yeah, when yeah, Sam yeah, got three, yeah. So I, that's yeah. and the thing is, and honestly, that vision did not play out. I thought it was going to be way creepier and way scarier, and it just kind of played out as, like, a normal flashback. And, like, yeah, that I, was that was weird. I think the the pool scene with Berto and his ex-girlfriend could have been way scarier. Because, uh, like, think about, like, movies like Jaws, like, classic, like, like, like horror movies that take place underwater. Th- that was pretty tame compared to what they could have done yeah. with like the element of water. Water is scary. You 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 don't have full control of your body and you don't know what's lurking underneath you and they could have in if they wanted this to be a horror movie, they could have exploited that way more. But like I saw every I minute of that, that coming, I that. you know. I just I thought it was an I thought it was an a decent like they were trying to do Logan. They're trying to do like a Logan adjacent movie. But it, but also like a haunted house movie, and I, I get how like those things just didn't kind of jive together. They were trying to do Riverdale, which at some point Riverdale is a little scarier than what we got in the New Mutants. Uh, I, I gotcha, I gotcha. So the action, there is less action than you would expect from a superhero movie, and I'm gonna blame this on the fact that there isn't necessarily an evil villain involved that they all need to join forces and fight against. It's more like one of them is just a really green mutant who can't control her powers and threatens to destroy everything. So if that last bit sounds familiar, it's because that's the plot of Dark Phoenix, which also tanked at the box office. So I'm really surprised that they came out with another combustible mutant story so soon. Yeah, I I can get that criticism. There was also there's also some romance. Yes. Because it's a teen movie. Yes. Thank goodness. Thank goodness for the romance. Um, I appreciate the same sex romance between Blue Hunt's Danny Moonstar and Maisie Williams, uh, Rain Sinclair. I like how it was slow and innocent, which is 
typical of that age group. That's where the teen thing really works out for them. Um, it was a cute sort of summer camp style relationship, and I could really get into it. That just made it so much more adorable. Um, so what I didn't care for was this weird, unnecessary lust between Henry Zagas, Berto, and Da Costa, and Anya Teller, Joy's Ileana Rasputin. I just... Why? Why was that even? Yeah, we don't well, need two. We don't need two teen romances when we've only got five full teens. You yeah. Know? No, I that felt a little forced. Um, so just for uh, just for a comic book check uh, in the in the comics, uh, Rain is actually like low key into Sam, uh, but he likes a different member of the team not shown in this movie uh, named Magma. Uh, a little bit of a love triangle situation. Uh, but the Rain and Danny situation isn't out of nowhere because, like I said, they have that psychic connection when Rain's a wolf. So they are very close. So it's not like it's like the weirdest thing in the world. Uh, but like I said, in the comics, um, Rain is raised very fundamentalist in Scotland and considers like wearing bikinis scandalous. So, uh, you know, Rain, comic book Rain would have uh, would have, you know, been very weirded out by any kind of homosexual identity and definitely have, uh, have tried to push it away because that's just, that's how she was raised. But, um, but I did, I mean, I thought it was a nice little, nice little story. Yeah, it, it did. That felt very natural. The Henry Zaga, Anya Taylor joy thing. It did feel a little, yeah, like I said, forced, uh, at the same time, it's like the really good looking, rich, uh, handsome guy. And, you know, the, you know, oldest prettiest girl in like a if you're in like a forced play kind of situation where it's like just like five of you there like i feel like that's not out of nowhere i just could have done without it yeah i'm not saying it's necessary i'm just saying i could kind of see i'm trying to give this movie as much of the benefit of the doubt as i can all right i i'm i'm we can't just dump on this movie this whole podcast that's fair no that's fair i think the upshot is the movie i thought was fun but if you're not really into comic book movies or willing to overlook some stuff, it's not a must see. Uh, I think it could have been made a little bit more like the Runaways, and maybe it would have done a little better. I thought I thought the Runaways uh, was done really well on Hulu. Uh, I get what they're going with, like the metaphysical and supernatural New Mutants, which is very specific to them among uh, the different superhero teams. And rather than have a traditional big baddie, they have their you know the spirit forms. And kind of Danny is the, like you said, the big good and the big bad. But I think they need a little more work to help people understand the what and the why of that decision. If you want to know more about the New Mutants, their first appearance is in this book called Marvel Graphic Novel, The New Mutants uh, from 1982. That introduces them. And then the first few issues of the comic book help fill in a lot of their background and close the loop on some of the things from their initial introduction. Uh, then some people jump ahead to certain artist areas. Um, the, the original artist is Bob McLeod. Then it was uh, folks like Sal Buscema. Uh, then Bill Sankiewicz, uh, who, you know, inspired this new mutants uh, and so on and so on. Uh, the eras obviously differ in tones, especially when Bill Sankiewicz takes over. You can see it's, there's more of like a, uh, an, uh, a continuity between Bob McLeod and Sabusema, but Bill Sankiewicz takes over. It's very, it seems a lot like, uh, like, like Jock from, uh, who worked on witches with, uh, with Scott Snyder. 
um, that kind of style. Uh, but also adding Ilya brings more. Uh, also adding Ilyana brings more of a mystical tone to the book when she becomes magic with a K. So all in all, I feel like this is the kind of movie that you like happen across on premium cable when it's like a Sunday and you're super bored. Um, and, and it, it's and, on after Van Wilder. Yeah. And like in that context, you actually might find it interesting and, and quite entertaining. I don't think it's a watch it more than once kind of movie. I'm excited that they're closing this chapter on the X-Men and Disney can take over from here and hopefully do right by my X-Men. Um, I think it was a it was a good way to close it out. I think it was a palate cleanser um, at best after sort of the X-Men series that has gone before it. So, um, you know, it's like I said, it's not a terrible movie, it's, but it's definitely not a movie I would watch beyond this one time. If you disagree or agree. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts. So thanks for listening. Uh, remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Twitter at Geek Prime X, on Instagram at geek.prime, on Facebook and YouTube, and read features and articles anytime at geek-prime.com. anything in that row. Do you want to drive it a little bit more? <laughs>